Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It's very sad to lose one parent, not alone two. Families have suffered devastating losses during the COVID-19 pandemic. What comforts us is that they went together. To help with the funeral and burial costs, FEMA has billions of dollars. So why have many not even applied? No one knows that I took this COVID shot to this day. Vaccinated, but unable to prove it. There's so many things that you need that card for nowadays. The problem that led Contact 6 to an important state database. From the Fox 6 Studios, this is Open Record. I'm Amanda St. Hilaire, here with my colleague, Brian Polson. Hey, Brian. Hey, Amanda. We are recording this episode on Thursday, January 6th, 2022. It's the new year. Joining us today, once again, our colleague, Fox 6 Contact 6 reporter, Jenna Sachs. Hi, Jenna. Hi, happy to be here. So, Jenna, you've done a lot of reporting over the last couple of years, as we all have, on issues that have arisen during the pandemic. We're going to dive into a couple more of those today. But first, we're going to talk real quick about 2021, which was a record-breaking year for Contact 6. It was. I'm happy to report that we helped our viewers save almost $440,000 in 2021, which is a new record for us. Last year, we helped our viewers resolve about 260 complaints, ranging from $5 for a simple rebate to $60,000 for a refinanced mortgage. So I'm really excited that we're figuring out how to be more effective. And hopefully this continues into the next year. All the pieces are in place. Well, and at the same time, we've seen promos running on our air about Contact 6 lately, and that's because we're hitting a pretty important milestone, right? Yes, this is the 50th anniversary year of Contact 6. It was launched by a guy named Tom Hooper, who is still very well known and regarded in Milwaukee. He was on TV for more than three decades on Fox 6. He was so popular, guys, that once a shooting suspect at a crime scene turned himself into Tom (laughs) when the police wouldn't pay attention to him, he walked up to Tom and said, I know you, I trust you, I did the shooting, and and Tom brought him over to the police. So he was a famous uh, person in, in Milwaukee. They once advised we change the entire name of our station to Contact 6 because of the popularity of Tom Hooper. And well, then, he, pro- Really, Contact 6 was synonymous with Tom Hooper for many, many years. Yes, and he, he had this wonderful baritone voice. Apparently, he was quite the character around the station. He had a, a desk that was so messy, a fire marshal ordered him to clean it up. <laughs> and then, of course, he passed the baton to Katrina Cravey, who led the segment for 18 years. And then I took over about five years ago. You know, I want to say real quick, because I know we got a lot to talk about, but when I first came to Fox 6, which was 17 years ago, Katrina Cravey was the Contact 6 reporter, so I missed the Tom Hooper years. But uh, Contact 6 is so popular and so well-known that I came to the DMV, and there was an investigative reporter here at the time named Bob Siegel, who I was coming to work with. Um, and, and I went to the DMV to get my license changed uh, from the state of Missouri to Wisconsin, and the person at the DMV saw my Fox 6 ID tag. 
and uh, and said, "Oh, uh, are, are you you know you, you knew at Fox Six?" And I said, "Yeah, I just I'm, I just started working here. Um, I'm going to be working with uh, one of the other investigative reporters." And and immediately she said, "Oh, Katrina Cravey." And I said, well, no, actually, it's Bob Siegel. And, and Bob, who's a tremendous reporter, um, one of the best in the country, uh, I, I still laugh because the person at the DMV responded, who? <laughs> um, and, and so, you know, Contact Six is so well known. And obviously, you've carried the torch now and picked it up. Three Contact Six reporters in 50 years. It's pretty remarkable. It is. And, I, you know, a lot has changed in that 50 years. Tom Hooper used to be able to walk into a building and everyone would say, Tom, and then he'd resolve the issue just by walking in the door. And a lot of what we're doing today is dealing with online businesses and companies that are based in other states. And we're, we're doing a lot more um, just from our desks, but we're also still going out and asking the difficult questions and, and trying to hold people accountable. So the, uh, the mission is still the same as it was, even if the, the tactics are different. Well, and as you continue to operate in our ever-changing world, you're getting people more and more of their money back as the numbers show. And I think that's something that's pretty remarkable. Speaking of numbers that are going up, uh, we should move into our next topic here, which is that COVID-19 cases, unfortunately, are way up. But getting tested is getting harder. So Jenna, what have you found out about that? Well, we've done a lot of reporting on our station about the high, high demand for both in-person testing, testing in your car, and at-home tests. A lot of locations around the Milwaukee area are expanding their hours. We've been showing you the long lines on TV that still remain. Um, some people have said they waited in line for four hours to get their test. It was it was really high heading into New Year's Eve. A lot of people wanted to get tested before they saw some friends and family. There's even a location called Hyatt Pharmacy that's extended their testing to 24 hours a day. And those numbers are revealing more and more COVID cases. DHS reported uh, that they had 8,000 new cases of COVID-19, I believe, on Tuesday, which was a new daily record. And right now, there are about 2,000 patients in the hospital. But that demand, I think the combination of the holidays and Omicron, uh, is really driving people to these test sites. And Amanda, I know you experienced this personally. <laughs> yes. So um, my two children, uh, they're two and a half and eight months old, we had to test them and and daycare would accept an at-home test, but we had to test them before sending them back to daycare after the holiday break. And to our surprise, both of them tested positive with these at-home tests. Now, these were the last at-home tests that we had, and it's kind of a miracle that we were able to get them. And the tricky part is figuring out when to send them back. So you have the CDC guidance on how long they should quarantine, but we are really worried about sending our kids back too soon, possibly infecting other people in the class. And then, of course, the class shuts down. So not only do we want to, you know, do our part to not spread this to other families, but families rely on daycare so that they can go to work. And getting an at-home test has has been impossible. Now, we've found windows where we can get the the PCR test, which you're going to go and get in person. But here's the issue with that. The CDC director just a few weeks ago said, and it's been verified, the PCR test is so sensitive that you can test positive up to 12 weeks after being infectious with COVID-19. 
So the PCR test isn't giving you the information you need to know if you can re-enter society, send your kids back to daycare, because you need to know if they're infectious. The PCR test isn't going to tell you that. It's going to pick up on even trace amounts of COVID-19 in your system. But the at-home test, the antigen test, that hasn't always been great about picking up the Omicron variant. I was just talking to a friend whose husband wasn't testing positive on the at-home test, but tested positive with PCR. So no matter which test you're taking, even if you can get access to one, you're going to question the results. And that, at least from the, the parent of young children perspective, has been a really tough situation to navigate. Because on one hand, our kids need to need to go to daycare so we can work. But we also need to be sure that we're doing what we can to not spread this. So that's that's been our family's personal frustration with testing. So, you know, we, we order, we found an at-home kit at Walmart that's supposed to arrive by this Monday. We had managed to order a couple on Amazon that are supposed to arrive end of January. Who knows what that will be, but it, it's just been really hard um, to A, even get the test, whether it's at home or a PCR test, but then B, to, to know that you can count on the results. I, I, we could talk about probably testing issues because you just raised the thing about the 12 week stuff that could be its own, own whole probably podcast. But I, I'm wondering because I haven't had to get one recently. It was about a year ago, Jenna. I think you were telling us about these things being available. And I then told you I went to the Walgreens down the street and the guy selling them said, huh. You're the first person I've sold one of these to. Oh, my god! Now you can't find them anywhere. Um, but I'm wondering if you need to get a test. Like, what? where do you go? What's the advice now? If somebody today is like, I got to get tested, where do you go? I would say if you really need to get tested and you don't have the issue Amanda has with the young children, there are places that have extended their hours. You may have to wait a while. Some pharmacies are open till 7 p.m. Hyatt Pharmacy will do it 24-7. So if you're really desperate, you can get in your car and go to a place like Hyatt. But things are complicated when you have kids under the age of three. Right. While uh, Walgreens and CVS won't test kids under the age of three, a lot of places won't uh, under the age of three or under the age of two. And so you can go to other places, but it will cost money. Now you can get usually through a convoluted process, get at least some reimbursement, if not total reimbursement from insurance, but you have to jump through a lot of hoops in order to do that. So that's that's the situation we found ourselves in. If your kids are under three, you're much more limited. And then of course, if you can get tested, expect delays and when you can get those results back. So you may not get the information you're looking for as quickly as you'd like to. Right. And who wants to wait in line in a place? You know, there are walk-in locations, but who wants to wait in line with a bunch of people who want to know if they have COVID or not inside a building? That's not exactly tempting either. So it seems like going into a car might be the best bet. But you, we've seen those lines, you know, wrapping around the block for, for quite a distance. Well, you know, Omicron is spreading like wildfire. The good news is, at least, if there's any, is that it seems to be overall less lethal than Delta was. But it can still cause, obviously, serious infections, even deadly infections. We know the hospital uh, numbers are, are way up. We know people are still dying from COVID-19. And that gets us into the story we really came here to talk about today, which is, or at least one of them... What many people may not know is that when a loved one dies from COVID, there's actually money to help with funeral costs and 
a substantial amount because uh, we know funerals can be expensive. What did you find out about that? Right. So Congress appropriated $2 billion to FEMA for COVID-19 funeral assistance. As of January 3rd, FEMA has provided about $1.6 billion of that um, to about 250,000 applicants. And this can cover transportation of a loved one, caskets, urns, burial plots, headstones, flowers, printed materials, and so on. Uh, the applicant can qualify for up to $9,000 per loved one who passed away. The average amount being awarded in Wisconsin has been around $6,500. And there are people in Wisconsin who are getting this funding. Uh, FEMA has granted about $25 million for funeral costs so far to about 38 hundred applicants, but we have had about 10,000 people pass away from COVID-19 in Wisconsin. So that is really just a fraction. And this story got on your radar, Jenna, through just a really heartbreaking scenario. Yeah, this really tugged at my heartstrings when the family reached out. I heard from a woman named Serenia Murillo, and she reached out after she and her six siblings lost both of their parents to COVID-19. Her dad, Marcelino, and mom, Josefina, died about a week apart in May and June of 2020. Both of her parents had been hospitalized about a month. Marcelino died first about three to four hours after he was intubated, and family was actually preparing for his funeral, and it was just three hours before his service was to begin at the funeral home that Josefina died. So the family was already dealing with this overwhelming loss, and then the day of their dad's funeral, their mother passes away, and then they have the extra burden of informing people who are arriving for their dad's funeral that their mother had died as well. So they're they're happy that they went together and also that they didn't know how badly the other was doing. And the family decided to hold off and have a joint mass and a burial for the couple. And then uh, almost a year later, Serenia applied for this new funeral benefit that had become available through FEMA. But her issue is that FEMA said it should only take a matter of a few weeks to approve these applications. And Serenia applied immediately when the funding became available, and she had been waiting six months for approval. And she kept getting messages saying that her documentation hadn't been received when she knew that it had been. And FEMA wouldn't comment to me about what caused the delay in this specific case, but I can tell you that one hour after I emailed FEMA asking for an update on this family, Serenia got a call saying that she had been approved for the maximum benefit per parent, a total of $18,000. So, you know, they went from being told, we don't have your information to being told you've, you've been approved. So we're happy for them. But it's also, it's, it's not a story that makes you feel good because, you know, obviously they'd give anything to have their parents back. But I do feel good about the fact that they were able to get that funding for, for the funeral costs. Of course, if only anyone or if only everyone who was waiting could have, uh, you know, a call from Contact 6 to get them immediate results. We do, do know that there have been uh, thousands of people who've been approved for this. Roughly, I mean, are, are most people who are losing loved ones to COVID-19 applying? Are most of them getting approved? How does that work? Well, FEMA, when I spoke with them, told me they really do want to approve as many people as they can. So in Wisconsin, as I mentioned, there have been more than 10,000 COVID deaths. FEMA has gotten about 5,700 applications so far, and it's only officially rejected a couple hundred of them. So they're trying to approve these, and basically anyone who incurred the costs of funerals or these other, um, other services, flowers, 
programs and so on, they can apply for these these benefits. There are a few restrictions. Uh, the death had to occur in the U.S. be a result of COVID-19. The funeral had to take place after January 20th of 2020. And you do have to provide documentation like itemized statements of the different expenses. You have to provide a death certificate that says COVID was a cause. And if the death happened Does it really have to be the, the pandemic, primary cause? Or no, just a it has cause. to be a contributing cause. Okay. And then if the death happened early in the pandemic, you can submit a letter from a doctor saying that it was likely a COVID-related death. But at this point, it sounds like it may be a gap in knowledge or awareness of this program. Maybe more people have insurance um, that covers this, or maybe people didn't have funerals. But FEMA wanted to speak with us for the story to let people know that the funding is available. And even though they're nearing the amount of money appropriated to them, that $2 billion mark, they don't foresee it being an issue continuing to be able to fund funerals. So I think they foresee getting additional funding if they reach that $2 billion mark. Well, that was my next question is, how does this funding work? Is it just something that needs to be kind of re-upped every so often? Is this something they're anticipating isn't going to run out anytime soon because you brought up an important point jenna and that's a lot of people delayed and are still delaying funerals and other end-of-life services so someone you know may have passed from covid19 in 2020 and may not have their service until 2022 maybe even 2023 that's a really good point. When I asked FEMA about whether this funding was going to expire, if people were going to miss out on their opportunity, I was told that doesn't seem like it's going to happen. This funding should be available for quite some time, but they did want people to apply as soon as possible if they could. I do wonder in the long run at what point it'll be difficult to continue funding funerals for people who die of COVID versus other things, especially once COVID becomes, as it appears it's going to, endemic. Once it's just always around, like flu and other things, you have someone who dies of influenza, they get no assistance, someone who dies from COVID, and they get thousands of dollars. I can see that being a tricky thing going off into the future, but I guess that's an issue for maybe another day. Oh my gosh, add it to the list of questions we have about how the coronavirus will continue to impact our lives in the years to come. Oh, I I, will have to see. (laughs) None of us knows. So we've talked about testing, we've talked about funding, and now is probably a good time to talk about the vaccine, specifically being able to have proof that you've been vaccinated. Jenna, you ran into an interesting issue with this. I did. Well, we got two complaint forms submitted to our segment at almost the exact same time uh, from people who claimed that they had been vaccinated but weren't able to prove it. And you may ask, how can that happen? Well, we heard from two guys, Jeff and Tim. Jeff got his shot at the Wisconsin State Fair. Do you remember the cream puff for a shot giveaway? Sure do. That's what he did. So once he left the fair, he realized that his name was spelled incorrectly on his vaccination card. And it should have been really easy to get him a new card as long as his vaccine was recorded in something called the Wisconsin Immunization Registry or WEIR. Uh, It's supposed to be automatically updated, but it wasn't. So he had been trying for weeks to get a new card when he reached out to us. And Tim is the other gentleman who reached out to us. He was vaccinated at an Urban League event around the same time. When he left the event, he'd realized he had lost his card and he had been trying really hard to get a new one, meeting with the vaccine provider, AMI in person, 
calling a lot of times and he was getting nowhere and his vaccination wasn't recorded in WEIR either. And why does this matter? Well, Jeff needs to be able to travel internationally for work. And he was worried that if he didn't have a card with his name that matched his license, he wouldn't be able to travel. And Tim uh, was supposed to get one of those $100 incentives, those gift cards that the state was giving out. He said it you know, wasn't imperative that he got it, but he felt like it was, you know, it, it was a hundred dollars. You want your hundred dollars. He thought he should get the card and he got a letter from the state telling him he didn't qualify. Um, and they wanted this on the immunization re- registry where it's supposed to be. So, I mean, is this happening often? What did you find when you looked into it? When I reached out to DHS, they did not give me the impression that they had heard about this before. They seemed a bit surprised to hear about it. And they told me they did not have any evidence aside from what I had presented to them that this was a bigger issue. And when I reached out to AMI, the provider, they said this does happen from time to time, but they wouldn't say it was common. They said when it does happen, it's typically an administrative error that is to blame. Someone's name may have changed. There may have been a spelling error or a data entry error from like five years ago that suddenly became a problem when when records merged. Um, So we did not get the impression from DHS or the provider that this was a widespread problem. We didn't get a flood of emails from people after this story aired, just a handful from people saying they were having similar issues. but, you know, it, it, this information is supposed to be automatically updated to WEIR, and it wasn't, and it was creating complications. And when we reached out to AMI, they did quite a bit of investigating, and they were able to rectify the situation for these two individuals so they could get the $100 and, and be able to travel for work again. You know, I, I, when I go back to when I got mine, uh, the, the initial card, it was maybe a month later that my wallet was stolen. The card was gone. I think, like a lot of people, thankfully, I had taken a photo of it. So I had the picture. Also, the happens to be the provider that I got the shots from, Walgreens, has record of that. So they, they could also fill that out. My, that was forwarded on to, you know, my, my hospital system, my doctor's office. So there's a lot of places where there was record. So that may be that a lot of people have places they can go for this and haven't had to go to the state. I wonder how many people have actually checked to find out if they really are in WEIR. And it can pop up and inconvenience you in ways you don't expect to not have this recorded in WEIR. Uh, If you aren't familiar, this is a a confidential database. It records all immunizations that individuals receive in Wisconsin. Your school will use it to enroll students. Healthcare providers rely on it to advise their patients. So if you're in your doctor's office and he says, oh, I see you need a tetanus booster or whatever, he's getting that from WEIR. Um, So it, it can pop up in different ways. And and if you need a new card, it's going to be a a huge hassle if this hasn't been uploaded properly. But we don't have the impression or any additional evidence that this is a huge widespread problem, but it was really hard for these two people to resolve it on their own. Well, and let's be real, people are going to lose their vaccination cards. You know, right now we're still at the point where it's so new that everyone, I shouldn't say everyone, a lot of people are being really careful we're going to get to the point where people are less careful, but then it may pop up that they need it. And so I think that's where we're going to start to see more issues if this information isn't recorded properly. Well, and you know, this this really came up in a way that, that I think we're seeing more of. And I don't know if other if you guys have a way you do this, but I realized with my health insurance card, with my dental insurance card, vision insurance, and now you've got your vaccine card. These are all things you really want to keep handy images on your phone. Um, and, and, and I... 
I don't know if you guys have, we have iPhones through work and I and I use the Apple wallet for a lot of like tickets to events and things like that. I wanted to be able to put all of these insurance cards and things in my Apple wallet, but you can't put images in there. So it, it, I, I do wonder if there's sort of an optimal way to store all of these things, including obviously now the vaccine cards are a really big deal. If there is a takeaway, I mean, the takeaway is try not to lose your card. I know that sounds really basic, but also do what Brian did and take a picture of it because Jeff took a picture of his with his misspelled name on it. And that sped up the process for him once we got involved because AMI could look at that card and see his birthday on it. They could see, you know, that he had that evidence that it was just a simple letter in the wrong, wrong place in his last name. All right, it is time to go off the record. This is the part of the podcast where we answer a question for which we have not prepared. And here to ask us that question is executive producer extraordinaire, Sarah Smith. Hi, Sarah. Hello. And uh, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. By the way, you've had a couple of weeks to think about this question. So, uh, you You know, know, there's an elevated expectation. Great. (laughs) (laughs) Letting people down since January, uh, whatever, 6th. 2022. Okay. Um, so I am sometimes um, the queen of awkward conversations, small talk. Blah. So this kind of falls into that category. And Perfect. I dread it. I dread it every single year. Let me tell you, come about December 30th, I start to get anxiety about this because it drives me crazy. So my question today is, how far along into the new year is it acceptable to say happy new year when talking to someone? One week. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. I've, no, I've thought about this a lot. <laughs> it also depends on how many times you've seen them. Like if it's the, it has to be, I think the first time you've seen them in the new year. Yes, correct. But like it, as you send out emails to sources, officials, colleagues, I mean, are you very much next week, next week going oh, happy new year to this person I haven't talked with since December? Um, it, I think it, if the last contact you had was prior to the holidays and because of staggered vacations it's still your first chance to talk to them it's acceptable but once you get past a week into the new year it's it's rare that that's going to feel right probably uh i'm very much on uh anytime past january 1st don't say it i don't i don't happy new year that's it you've passed january 2nd is a no yes correct first day back at work and you walk in and you see everybody. You can't say Happy New Year? It's awkward. It's like, how's the weather? How about them Packers? Happy New Year. Like, oh, it's just weird. Oh, man. You're not going to like the emails I wrote the last <laughs> few days to all my sources. I just gloss over it now. I get to the meat of the email. I, I mean, I'm very guilty of it. And, you know, funny enough, I started at this conversation with Happy New Year. So there's that. Um, <laughs> anyway, okay. I just, you know. You're like the I, big box stores. You've moved on to Valentine's already. I, I, I mean, I don't know about that. I just... I mean, I, I don't know. I don't I don't even know why I have such a disdain for the Happy New Year. I just Jenna, what's <laughs> your take? I'm a pessimist. <laughs> I mean, I think you're right, Amanda. I think it's a week. I think you have a, a week's clearance to use it. I had this funny experience where I was filling in on the morning show on New Year's Day. And every time I 
saw the, the weatherman, Rob Haswell, or, or our reporter in the field, Brett Vickery, I was like, Happy New Year. And then I thought, I'm saying this like every 10 minutes. Happy New Year. I see. I just saw you 20 minutes ago, but Happy New Year. <laughs> I, you know, I've, that was my moment where I was like, should I, should I stop saying this over you and over your again? Quote, it's a filler phrase for sure. And, and maybe that's, maybe Absolutely. that's what bothers Sarah so much about it. But it's like your brain just defaults to sometimes when you're panicking, what can I say in this moment? And, oh, it's the new year. Happy new year. Yeah. Well, welcome to 2020. 2020. 2020. We're not going back to 2020. Oh, God. I had too many. Oh, man. That's not a good good sign. It's more awkward to be on the receiving end because, like, I don't know. I'm very much – I. I don't know. I probably just twist, get it twisted in my brain. But like, if Amanda, if I see you and you go happy new year and I happy new year, like, I don't know how to say it. Like, do you say it with like excitement? Do you say it with like celebration? Do you just say it to say it back? Like, I don't know. It's, it's kind of like saying, I love you. <laughs> well, I expect you to say something back with like, you know, humorous sarcasm. Like somebody says, happy new year. And you go, yeah, right. You know, something like that because, you That's know, me. Or fat chance, oh. you know, something like that. Um, but especially after these last couple of years. I just I do think, though, that you can't say it if whatever your New Year's resolution was, if you've already blown that, you can't keep <laughs> saying Happy New Year. Like if you oh. said, I'm going to the gym every day in 2022 and it's day three and you've already blown it, no more Happy New Year. Or maybe it is then incumbent on you to respond with the fact that you've already blown your resolution if someone says Happy New Year to you. Because then at least that's an interesting conversation. Way to be a failure. <laughs> yeah. my, I have a yeah. former coworker from my last station, Dennis Owens. We, we had this conversation at my last station, and this guy is dedicated to a bit. He, in our morning meeting, because we would have different people call in, and he would call in. Every day for at least six months, he started it with Happy New Year because we had our conversation about how long can you say it. And it just it turned into a bit. And that man was dedicated. And every day he started off with Happy New Year, like well into June. It was pretty impressive. (laughs) I can appreciate that. (laughs) I, I, I feel like an outlier here. It doesn't bother me at all. People could say it to me in mid Mid-January, I'd be totally fine with it. They could say it in February. It's still the new year. I'm okay. Yeah, okay. Well, this this is the flip side of that coin, though, is when it's you, when it's like the last week or so of December and you know you're not going to see someone until after the first of the year, how do you feel about the whole, see you next year? That's me. <laughs> Doesn't bother me at it. all. I even told my kids, I go, hey, when you're at school, before you leave, make sure you say See you next year. And I'll be darned. Quinn came home and she was like, yeah, I did that to my teacher. So, I, I mean, I'm here for those dumb jokes. So you're not That's... annoyed by that, but you, but the happy new year after January 1st I'm very much. much into puns, bad jokes, that kind of stuff. But, but like, not the, the awkward the, the small actual, talk. The awkward small talk is not my thing. But, it's again, it's just a personal thing. There's a lot of dumb things that bother me. I mean, as you probably all well know, my family knows. Um, so it, this is just like, I'm always the outlier on this kind of stuff anyway. The title of your memoir. <laughs> always the outlier. Things that annoy me. Yeah. <laughs> Forever and ever. Amen. Sarah has done it again. That was a good talker. <laughs> well, if you have a topic you want us to discuss on open record, any thoughts on how long it's acceptable to say happy new year or an issue you think we should investigate, maybe you want us to investigate that. 
please send us an email. You can send your emails to fox6investigators at fox.com. Again, that's fox, the number six, investigators at fox.com. Jenna, thanks for being on again this week. Of course, no problem. As always, thank you to all of the people who make this podcast possible. Producer Pete, Dave Machuda, Suzanne Barthel, and Sarah Smith. Please subscribe to Open Record if you haven't already. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. With that, I'm Brian Polson for Amanda St. Hilaire. Happy New Year. We'll be back again next week. Mm-hmm.